Hello, and thank you for tuning in and listening to Mosley's Bench. This show has been created and designed by former judge Fred M. Mosley. Please stay connected as you will learn more about the laws of life, how it applies to your life, and so much more. Buckle in. Hello, and this is Tawanda coming to you live on behalf of Mosley's Bench. Today is Monday, August 10th, 2020. And I definitely want to say the date because this year is slowly but surely winding down. And before we know it, we'll be into September. And I am not sure about you, but usually when September hits, I start my countdown until the year going out. And I'll tell you, this year has definitely been interesting. So today we have a special show because over the last few days we've been talking about the laws of life and we've been hearing from Judge Mosley about different laws of life, how it applies to your life, more detailed information on the laws of life. And we're going to definitely continue to do that. However, today we wanted to stop, take a minute, and find out a little more about who is former Judge Fred M. Mosley. As you continue to hear more and more from him over the weeks and months and years to come, I want to make sure that people know who he is. And as you hear this information, if you ever have questions, you want to ask more information, he is definitely an open book. So we're going to get started shortly. But first, let me go out to you, Judge Mosley, and say hello, and how are you doing today? I'm well, Tawanda, and how are you? Always good to hear your voice. Hey, likewise, definitely pretty incredible. And really, I I don't really want to be selfish, but I kind of enjoy the 15 minutes we get to chat before the call actually starts because then I don't have to um, worry about any other disturbances. So now that that's over, (laughs) thank you for all the tips and all that I learned about you in the last 15 minutes. Ha-ha. Well, I was pleased to share. Absolutely. I was kind of shocked to find out that you were not a gourmet chef, so that was a little discouraging, but I guess I'll get over it. All right. So (laughs) we're going to begin. I I have some questions, and I actually did send you the questions already, so you won't be blindsided about what I'm going to ask you. But But the flip side of that is one thing I've learned from talking and doing interviews with you is you're always ready. (laughs) Well, we, we endeavor to be. Absolutely. We endeavor to be ready. Absolutely. So before we get started, tell me this, uh, and this is not a question that's on there. Why in life should we endeavor to always be ready? Well, because one of the laws of life we're going to discuss is a law of notice and warning. And, of course, we haven't gotten to that one as yet. But notice is being made aware of a situation or circumstance prior to its occurrence that offers opportunity. So we ought always be ready because we don't know when an opportunity may present itself. Tawana, we should get up every morning looking for opportunities, expecting opportunities to present themselves, whereas we are in a position, and I'm going to use the term pounce, on that opportunity when it appears. So, you know, Hmm. the scripture says that be ready in season and out of season. And this is what we mm-hmm. endeavor to do is to be ready because we're praying and asking God to provide opportunities for us, and we don't want to miss any opportunities. And one way to miss them is not to expect it and not to be ready when they present themselves. Sometimes it's a very Absolutely. short window of opportunity. 
Mm, that's amazing. And you've said that to me before. And one thing I've always heard about opportunity is it actually doesn't go away. It just goes on to someone else. So that's if you're correct. not ready, if I'm not else. ready, and we right. miss it, the opportunity goes on to someone else. So don't let anyone get your opportunity. You know, that's a, definitely a note for the day. We can even, we can even close after that. Like, <laughs> what, what else can yeah. we say? Don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your and opportunity. And unfortunately, so many do. I mean, I'm pretty, I know I've missed opportunity before in life too, but now work to always be ready. So thank you for that, um, Judge Mosley. All right, so I have some questions for you because it's important to me, and I know it's important to our listeners, for people to find out who is he? Simply because, you know, we live in a day and time, right, where everybody, like, you go to a restaurant, you go buy this, you go to a hotel, people do it. They leave a review. They want to give a review, they want to give their opinion. And actually, a lot of times when I look at checking into hotels or going to restaurants, I go and do what? I go and read the review. Let me see what people are saying. And the same thing with books. And guess what? The same thing with people. Someone says, okay, I, I actually strolled across this podcast by Judge Moses. It's a former judge, so I guess he's retired from that. Who is he? Let me go to let me go do my research. And our research is normally what? Google.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's okay, too. But guess what? Sometimes it's best to get it from the horse's mouth. So today yeah. we're going to be real. We're going to be candid. We're going to be specific. And let's get started. Question number one. Um, Tell us how you grew up, and in, and if you if you can include it as your childhood, where you're from, how you grew up, anything significant about the experience of you growing up. Well, born in the very deep south in Birmingham, Alabama, during the years of strict segregation in Alabama, and most, if not all, of the southeast, uh, the governor of the state was known as a strict segregationist. Uh, my dad was a coal miner only completed the fifth grade. My mother did not work outside of her home. She had an eighth grade education, five children, Christian home, church, of course, every Sunday, sometimes even during the week. And um, we weren't poor. My dad worked hard. He provided for the family. And I guess we perhaps would be considered lower middle class in the community that we lived in. But for all public schools and going back to the segregation or the segregated situation there, all the theaters were segregated. Uh, the homes were segregated by way of districts that you could live in. And I mentioned the movie theaters and parks of recreation, uh, schools, buses. There were no black clerks, police officers, firemen. Only uh, and the schools, the schools were strictly segregated. Um, all black schools, all white schools. And so that's the climate that I grew up in. And uh, I had never, during those years, those formative years, I had never been in an integrated situation. It was all blacks and uh, a few Caucasians who had businesses in the black community. That is definitely interesting. Tell me thing from your childhood that you remember, like one thing significant, whether it was something with school in your early years, something with your family where you were a really bad kid, you were a really good kid. Give us something a little juicy. Come on now. <laughs> I'll do the best I can. But one thing I remember clearly is that we didn't have much by way of entertainment dollars. Even we had the entertainment dollars. There weren't too many places to go in Birmingham in the mid-1940s. But on weekends especially, maybe on a Saturday evening, we would gather around the radio with my dad, and uh, he would put peanuts in the oven. 
and we would sit around as kids and we would have those peanuts and we would listen to the Lone Ranger and Amos and Andy and some of those radio programs on radio, and that was family time, and we enjoyed it. Wonderful. You know, I think back to when I first met you, and I was talking to one of my um, team members, and we were saying, oh, we got to get him to loosen up. We got to get him to hang out. So guess what? We're still working on you now. You made a lot of progress. I even remember a call we had, and we had you going past speed limit. We were going, I think, 110 miles per hour. So um, thank you for being open, and thank you for being so flexible, because sometimes people are so set in their way, and that's definitely not how you are. So I definitely appreciate that. All right. Now, the next question, and again, I'm, we're going to get good now. We're going to get better, so just get ready. Um, the next question I want to ask you is, tell us a little bit about your high school years and college years, and tell us anything significant that happened around that time. Well, during my house, high school years, I started to, to find some direction in life because prior to that time, I didn't care too much for school. I was a very mediocre student, and primarily I just wanted to play sports, as most uh, young men uh, are even today. But in high school, I learned that I could do better. I started applying myself educationally. I found myself on the honor roll in honor society. I was elected president of the student body, president of my senior class, and was a student athlete by way of the track team. I didn't play football or basketball, but I ran track. And um, mm-hmm. they, they were some good years. They were good years from the point of view it instilled in me, along with, of course, my church attendance and encouragement by and through my pastor. It instilled in me that I could be somebody. I could do something significant. And the mere fact that I came from Birmingham in a segregated setting, all of my life up to that point did not have to inhibit me by way of progress in life. So my high school years were great years. I enjoyed senior prom. In fact, I had um, a scholarship to go away to college for my mm-hmm. after my junior year. But I was having such a great time in high school, I did not want to forego the senior year in high school, the prom and senior day, class day, and all that comes along with that. So I opted to stay in school in high school for those four years, and then uh, I was I received a scholarship to college after that. Wow. Now let me ask you that because I know in your bio you talk about earlier you were not that great in school, you wasn't even that interested, and then something happened. Tell us a little about that because, you know, how do you go from not really being too great, not really saying you were smart, somehow we just don't really apply ourselves. So what happened and changed during that time? Well, what happened was that, well, let me retract just a minute. So often we don't realize what we can say to a child that will cause that child to do those things that are positive or cause that child to go in a negative way. For me, what was a turnaround in my life when I was around 10, 11 years of age, I was in church one Sunday, and the pastor who was giving his message at the time stopped in the middle of his message, looked at me, pointed towards me, and said, I see something in you. And Mm -hmm. those words to Wanda, those words stuck, 
stuck with me. They, they were ringing in my ears, and it caused me to know that God had something for me and that I could do better than just being a very mediocre student in elementary school at the time and getting in and out of fights and the kinds of things oftentimes a young man find to be the things to do during that span of life. So it was the past, my pastor at the time who spoke into my life and I would perceive that it was a prophetic message that he was bringing to me, and I perceived clearly it was from the Spirit of God. But that put me on a different track, and as a result of that, I started to pursue more excellency in life. Mm. Mm. That's wonderful, and I'm so glad that you did that. And, you know, the thing is, uh, as a sidebar, and you can definitely um, give me some feedback about this, I have met so many people that have said they struggle with self-esteem or I even have a young lady I was talking to a few weeks ago and she said, my self-esteem is just so damaged. Sometimes I just think I'm not pretty and I just don't know if I'm pretty or not. And I didn't really understand her. And I said, well, what do you mean? Look in the mirror. She said, well, my dad always told me I was very pretty, but my mama said I was ugly and now I really don't know what to believe. And I'm like, you're 38 years old. (laughs) What are you talking about? Look (laughs) in the mirror. How is it that, those words affect people from childhood even to adulthood. Well, they do because they make an impact, especially on children. And we as adults, we certainly ought to be very, very careful what we say to younger people and the fact that we can't impact their lives either in a positive or in a negative way. And going to the law of accountability and responsibility, adults are accountable to what we say two children that could impact their lives, maybe their their entire life as a result of something that I may have said to that young person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really amazing. That's why I know I've heard so many times when we talk to children, we should say things 25, 30 times better to them than just stop, 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 stop. No, 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 no. Anytime right. we're giving a negative, we should probably give positives five, ten times more because that really does impact People think words don't hurt, but in reality, they hurt and they damage. Sometimes people may say, I'd just rather you hit me than cut me with your words because that lasts a lot longer. So, yeah, we definitely should be very, very careful about what we say because that can affect someone's life. Um, thank you for that. All right, talk and you know, to that's us a one of the laws about... of life that we will be covering will be the law of words mm, in this series. Sorry. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to every day because um, it's a really an opportunity to continue to learn and to be better, and that should be our goal, to be better. The world has yes. enough hate. The world has enough bad. We should strive to be better. Better is good, and um, that's yeah. definitely my goal. So, yeah, thank you so much for that. Looking forward to the law of words because words definitely are extremely important, powerful. All right. Yeah. Um, what did you do after undergrad? Okay, so after you, you went to high school, you went out to college, what did you do after your undergrad? What did you, what did you well, get your undergrad degree in? How was college, and what did you get your undergrad degree in? Then what did you do? Well, I attended three different undergrad schools. Started out okay. in North Carolina, Shaw University, then decided to stay home for a couple of years at a small college in Birmingham, then went away my senior year to Wilberforce University. And after finishing Wilberforce, I came Wilberforce is in southern Ohio, I came up to the greater Cleveland area, and um, I was given some thought to pursuing a master's degree at 
Kent State and rehabilitation counseling, but my, the desire of my heart was to go to law school, although I didn't see how that was going to come about. Well, how it did come about was that I learned that there was a position with an insurance company, and they were looking at the time, this was in 1966, they were looking for a black adjuster because there were no black adjusters, automobile uh, insurance adjusters, I should say, in the greater Cleveland area during those years. But ironically, the company that was looking for this African-American adjuster also wanted a person who was interested in going to law school. So when I interviewed for the position, uh, which I was hired as an adjuster for this insurance company, automobile accidents and personal injury cases, those kinds of things. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I applied for law school at that time, was accepted. In fact, I was accepted into law school even before I took the law school admissions test and started law school. And as a result, I was able to finish law school and, uh, and earn the Juris Doctor degree. Wow. And that wasn't even your initial plan. <laughs> no, it was not. Wow. No, it was not. That's how God orchestrates things. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I saw a movie one time, and the lady said in the movie, she said, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plan. Tell him your plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that's pretty incredible. So you end up going to lost from getting your just doctorate and that wasn't even the plan. What what was the plan though? What actually was it that why what was it that you actually really wanted to do? What did you want to be well, when you grew up? Well as I said, I had applied to Kent State University for a rehabilitation counseling master's degree. And I thought mm-hmm. as well a rehabilitation counselor I can be of help to some people who are in need of rehabilitation, and it, it was a sort of a sound good and feel good kind of profession, a vocation. Okay. And it, it had just started okay. its uh, master's degree program, and uh, I was offered a full scholarship to pursue a master's degree in rehabilitation mm-hmm. counseling. But God had in mind law school, and as time has gone along, now I see so clearly why that was the case. And also, I was able to spend another year in law school to earn a postdoctorate degree in law, the Master of Laws degree, which uh, we were blessed to, to obtain in the early 1970s. Okay. Wow. Okay. That definitely is interesting. See how things definitely turned a definitely great different turn. So, and you covered actually while law school. Well, my next question is, why did you want to be a judge, or why did you end up becoming a judge? Maybe you didn't be a judge. Well, we started, my first position in the legal profession was as a trial attorney for the United States Justice Department in the Antitrust Division, allowed to travel around the country investigating, preparing for trial, antitrust violations, and then from there to an assistant county prosecutor's position in Northeast Ohio, then into private practice, and while in private practice, I was appointed as a, as what they referred to at the time as an acting judge. And as an acting judge, I was able to sit for the incumbent judge when the, when the incumbent judge, for some reason, uh, was unable to sit on that particular bench. 
So I was allowed to maintain my private practice as well as sit as an acting judge for several years. And then the, the desire of most attorneys is that at some point, one day, they will be, uh, they will be able to ascend to a judgeship. And that was and I desire my heart also, and I ran for a full-time judgeship in the early 1980s. And at the time, I was in my early 30s or so, and uh, had had a fairly successful practice up to that point, had had experience as a prosecutor, as a defense attorney. And, of course, the next logical thing to do was to seek a full-time position on the bench, which I was inclined to run, and somehow or another, because I was the underdog with respect to whether or not I would win the election. Somehow I won and was elected in 1982 to be the first African-American judge in that particular city. Wow. (laughs) You know what, this is definitely, um, and this is a a sidebar, and I know this is completely out out of left lane, but um, you, from, from when you were a kid and, from you having that said to your from your pastor to inspire and encourage you from you deciding to um go the extra year um and not leave high school early from from you wanting to and thinking about doing one type of profession ending up to another and then now you know being the underdog and, and becoming elected as a judge with 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 so much at this point in your life right now at that point in your early thirties. If you had, if you had to write a book about your life with all those different turns and twists, what would you call it? Well, I need to give that a little thought, but it would okay, be okay. something. Let, let me think about that to wonder. Okay, I, I think about that for a couple of days. I, I love to hear that, and I ask everyone that. And the thing is, the story continues to turn, and it becomes even more amazing. But there's so many different things that happen in life, and I always ask people, if you could write a book about your life, what would you call it and why? Because life is truly amazing, and we have to embrace every twist and every turn, especially we're turning one way, but we're supposed to go another way. So definitely, I definitely want to table that and hear more about what you would call that because because those are all three signs of different things. So now, as you were just talking to me a little about how long you were actually on a ben- on the bench and then what happened that um you end up um not being on the bench anymore. Well I was total on the bench uh, approximately seven and a half, eight years as an acting judge and as a full time judge in that particular jurisdiction. But to wonder and this is not meant to be used as an excuse, but many who came from a similar background as mine, we find ourselves we found ourselves be somewhat materialistic because the way one the way one would determine success coming out of the kind of background that I came from that is uh, backgrounds strict segregation limitations and all of that. Most times people would determine how well you have done based upon your material things, the house that you lived in, the kind of cars that you drove, the way you dressed, those kinds of things. So when I was in the practice, it was much more lucrative financially than going on to the bench. But I wanted to maintain the lifestyle that I had as a private practitioner. 
So as mm-hmm. a result of wanting to maintain that lifestyle, I'm sure I'm not the only person who falls in this category, in a category such as this, but in my desire to maintain a certain lifestyle, which was expected of people such as myself who had uh, finished a professional school and operated in a, in a professional capacity, that you were expected, especially coming from the deep south as I had come from, you were expected to have certain things and I emphasize things in life. So as a result, wanting to keep the things, maintaining a certain lifestyle that was expected of people who had attained to the level that I had. Unfortunately, I was, I was willing to compromise. And the compromise was that I received what they referred to as kickbacks from contractors working for the city wherein I sat on the bench. Uh, as the presiding judge and as the trial judge in that court, I was I was in a position to let out contracts to various contractors for work to be done in the court wherein I sat on the bench. And as a result of those contracts being let out, I was receiving a percentage, oftentimes, of what those contracts uh, amounted to. Now, that's illegal because it's referred to as a kickback in legal parlance. Uh, somehow the FBI came to learn about it. I found myself under investigation. I was indicted by a federal grand jury, facing 120 years in the federal system by a corresponding state grand jury, and was facing another 12 years, a total of 132 years of incarceration. Went through a three-week trial, was found guilty in federal court, was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison in Texas, and a, a and 12 years uh, in the state system, and those two sentences were run concurrent to one another. So all those years I had spent in school, law school, college, of course, law school, as a federal prosecutor, state prosecutor, as a defense attorney, and as a judge, here I am now on my way to prison. And this was in 1984, 1985. Mm, Wow. Now, let me ask you this. Um, Mosley and um, the attorney that you use during this, how did you go about selecting someone? Because this is what you do. How did you go about selecting someone um, to represent you in that case? And this is another sidebar question. And how pleased were you with what they, the the services they provided to you? Well, interesting question. I was a Christian throughout everything I've shared with you, especially from my throughout my adult years and even going into my teenage years and prior to that, uh, church goer, active in choir, junior church, usher board, and all of that. But I will, first of all, I want to find a Christian attorney and one who would at least understand from whence I had come and how I allowed myself to get caught up in this situation. And then, of course, I wanted someone who was astute enough in criminal law to present the kind of case that I thought should be presented in my behalf. And unfortunately, and I'm not blaming the lawyers at all, because if I had not done what I did, I wouldn't need the lawyers to try to help to get me out of it. But unfortunately, it appeared that they already had their minds made. There were two lawyers involved. That they already had their minds made that it was going to be a plea 
arrangement, that I was going to enter a plea. Now, the offer that was made to me by the federal prosecutors was that I would resign my judgeship, and then I would enter a plea of guilty, surrender my license to practice law, and also agree to a five-year prison term. Well, to Wanda, I didn't see that being such a great deal. I didn't see how I could do much worse going to trial, and which I did. I went to a jury trial, and at mid-trial, I took over the trial from the defense point of view, and I tried the rest of the case myself. And as a result, as I mentioned before, was found guilty and was sentenced. But I did not realize, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself now, but I did not realize that that was going to be a major turning point in my life, a major turning point to the extent that it was going to come to be for my good as as opposed to my peril. Oh, wow. You know what? I have no idea. (laughs) We didn't even take a break. My goodness. Well, you know what? We're out of time. We have time, so we're gonna have to do a part two tomorrow. Because, um, and you know what? I don't know what you did, um, Judge Mosley, but I had no idea. <laughs> oh my goodness, we are out of time. This is this. Oh goodness, this is Tawanda, and this is Mosley's bench. And today we're talking to former Judge Fred M. Mosley about his life. And um, we'll be back tomorrow for part two because um, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But we're out of time. Um. I'll let you close out any final comments in the last 45 seconds. Well, let's look forward to sharing the remainder of this testimony because hopefully it's going to be of some benefit to your listeners to come to know that a a certain situation in life does not have to dictate the rest of your life. Glory to God. And hopefully that will come across when we finish tomorrow. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And we're out of time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Mosley's Bench with former Judge Fred M. Mosley. To get more information on Fred M. Mosley, Mosley's Bench, The Laws of Life, or the nonprofit organization Justice Ministries, please tune in to the website at lawsoflifecourt.com or justiceministriesintl.com. Once again, that's lawsoflifecourt.com or justiceministries, intl.com. Thank you.